I'm joined today with Molly Cinder, um, organizer and somehow able to keep an entire group of musicians sane for an in- months on end. Like, how are you? How are you doing? I know we were just talking. You're in like the peak of it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm doing all right. You know, um, we're we're staying we're staying hydrated and trying to sleep. That's pretty much how you do it. But no, we are. We just sent home our third program of the summer. Uh, the piano and strings musicians uh, were sent home from our chamber music program, and we're getting ready to welcome our voice fellows for our art song focused voice program uh, here in a couple of days. And that's wild. And to the people that don't know, uh, because I should have mentioned that prior, Molly runs and organizes the, like the Ravinia Steen's Music Institute. Do you want to speak some to that? Because I know personally, I had never heard of Ravinia outside of like knowing other cats in school that had gone to it for the jazz program and whatnot. But uh-huh. like, what's a little bit about that organization as a whole? Yeah, so Ravinia Festival is uh, North America's oldest outdoor music festival. We're located just north of Chicago in Highland Park, which is a suburb of Chicago. And it's the summer home to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. But in addition to that, there's all sorts of other programming that goes on beyond classical. It's really, really uh, overlapping genres, everything from chamber music to jazz to sort of pop acts, R&B, rap, and then the Chicago Symphony Orchestra right in there. And then there is a we um, there's a summer music institute called the Ravinia Staines Music Institute that runs in parallel of what's going on on the other stages, and it's uh, basically a young professional artist development program for different genres. So we have a jazz chamber program at the start of the summer. Then we have our jazz program, which is more smaller jazz focused rather than big band. Then we do a chamber music, a classical chamber music program with piano and strings. And then we close out our institute summer with a voice program. And it's aimed at musicians ages 18 to 30 who are really at the top of their field. It's a very competitive process to get into our various programs and they get to attend for free. So it's completely supported by fellowships and endowments and donors um, of Ravinia. So where do you come into all this? You know, cause I know we talked like you used to play woodwinds if I remember right, like you did some doubling a little bit, yeah. but how did you, how did you end up here? Because you know, it's, it's a big deal. It's a great organization to be with. It's a big organization to run. And I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm imagining in high school, you weren't like, I want to go run Ravinia one day, you know, that wasn't <laughs> the goal then. So how did this, how did this happen for you? Well, ironically, I did always want to do music business. I knew that from a really early time period. So I, yes, I started at playing clarinet in fourth grade added on alto sax in seventh grade because I really wanted to be in the jazz band and they told me clarinets couldn't be in the jazz band (laughs) (laughs) to which I was like have you ever heard of Benny Goodman but anyhow (laughs) Um, and so I went to school at a school of music and I did that intentionally I did not want to have a conservatory experience I wanted to have more of a liberal arts music experience. And so I went to a school of music uh, at DePauw University in Indiana um, and took a bit of a winding road 
right after I graduated and worked at an educational technology startup, worked at a consulting firm, but always knew I wanted to be back in the arts. And all of my internships when I was in college were in music, um, including a summer at Ravinia, which was the first time I had ever been here. So I actually just had come straight off of an internship at Saturday Night Live in their music department. And then went straight from New York to Chicago to intern at Ravinia. And I just thought it was a really wonderful place, a bit of a hidden gem. Like you said, people haven't heard of it. It kind of pops out of a neighborhood in this Northern suburb, um, but it's really beautiful. And it's, it's really, really cool and really interesting. A lot of history here with the orchestra, just with performances, Janis Joplin performed here and we've had all sorts of, you know, really interesting acts come through. Um, I got to see Aretha Franklin here and we've gotten to see all sorts of just huge, huge artists. And so um, I accepted a job at, as the operations manager of the Staines Music Institute. And then after two summers took over as director. So, but I, I studied arts administration, music business. I knew I did not want to be a performer. The lifestyle wasn't for me. And I've always just leaned more organization. Uh, and that's kind of where I found myself was trying to get people to the stage. That's what I've always liked to do. I love working with artists. So that's where I, that's where I ended up. <laughs> I think that's so interesting because I don't know, in my experience, like a lot of younger musicians and whatnot, it's like the two options are playing or teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think they ever think of the other opportunities outside mm -hmm. of that. And so how have you, um, how has that worked with you? Because the other big part of what you do too, is work with a lot of uh, like summer interns and everything and people in, in that, I mean, I'm assuming most of those that make up our musicians or music business and everything. So how has, um, you know, advising on that kind of been, especially yeah. as there's not tons of symphonies anymore and there's not making life, playing music seven days a week and all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I actually really like this age range. I like that the Institute is focused on young professional musicians and we have this great team of production assistants each summer that are interns that are generally around the same age, usually in college or just out of college. And I like uh, meeting people at that time frame in your life because so much is open and still yet to be explored and um, sometimes the musicians are having questions of is this the career path for me and hopefully what we do at the institute is reinforce that it's a very viable career path and what I really appreciate about the faculty and the directors of the different programs is how they encourage that music doesn't have to a career in music doesn't have to look one particular way. You don't have to move to New York and have that be it if that's not what you want to do. Um, so I always really like working though with our production assistants because yes, usually they are music minded or maybe their performance, but they've started to think perhaps I need a backup plan or perhaps I don't want to be a performer. And I definitely can understand that journey. Um, having been an intern at Ravinia, I feel a certain kinship with our production assistants because I know what it's like to kind of just do a bunch of tasks, um, but then also get it in the context of how important 
those tasks are to making this place run. Um, so I like talking to people about the different options that they have because I don't think it's painted well in colleges and conservatories. Um, I don't think options are given. I don't think that it's, I think there are too many sort of black and whites and ultimatums and not enough of the sort of in-between gray area because that's what it always ends up being for people. Um, I, I still play music on the side, not professionally in any capacity, but um, I kind of had to find for myself that playing just for myself and for my mental health and for fun was very valid while still being able to work in music and work around the arts. Um, but that wasn't talked about that much when you're in school. So yeah. I like trying to talk about that angle and give people some of what they're not getting in school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like outside of something like Belmont or some specific schools, I think like working in the industry is almost like taboo. Uh -huh. you know, it's just, it's just not um, perceived as like a legitimate opportunity to some people, you know? Uh -huh. um, so how do you think being, cause you're also in the unique position too, of like you work with the younger professionals and help them develop and everything, but you're also really attached obviously to like the audience and the consumer and like the older generations and whatnot. Like, where do you think, um, this kind of music fits in, you know, not the popular music, you know, not, but, but the, the institutionalized stuff, like the art music, the stuff that we're trying to hold on to, how do you think that fits in still today? It's a great question. I think it's a little bit of, if you find something that you love and it's niche, accepting that it's niche and getting it to people who are going to appreciate that or are going to support you in your pursuit of that craft. Accepting that first, I think is really helpful. I think everyone that comes through the Music Institute is very self-aware that, you know, you're not gonna bring in 20,000 people to an art song concert most likely, Yeah. but they love the pursuit of studying it. And maybe, and oftentimes, I mean, I'm specifically talking about the voice program here, but the art song program that we run for three weeks is usually a little bit of a, a break from opera. So they aren't putting all of their eggs in the art song basket generally. Um, and I think that's the same way with the musicians that come through our jazz program. I know that they're not just doing jazz. And I think that's how it's going to work. I think that's how it's going to keep being relevant is making it's a little bit of the onus is on the musicians to make themselves a little bit more diverse in terms of the types of music that they're playing and branching out and not just only singing one type or playing one type of music but making sure that they're keeping that side alive as well so that they do have an opportunity when they've made a little bit of a connection with an audience member to open up the door and, and have them listen to their other music pursuits and passions that they're like looking into and playing. So um, I, I, there is a little bit of a, sometimes I wonder about the future of the audiences, but I also think that, um, we've been enamored with the death of audiences of classical music for a really long time. And we still have audiences at classical music. So I think 
some of the shift has to happen on both sides. Audiences have to shift a little and musicians have to shift and accept that perhaps their one little niche nuance thing is something that they can't do 100% of the time, but they should pursue it while also pursuing other things in, in tandem. What, um, and this might be a loaded question, you know, but like, <laughs> what would you want to see changed? Like, what do you think the musician specifically, you know, cause the consumer is going to do what the consumer wants. Yeah. They're going to, if they don't want to see it, they're not going to see it. But like, what do you think the musician needs to, needs to change to try and oh, to try and grow that or, or reach more people, you know, without like, you know, cause they're going to, Oh, I'm selling out or whatever. But like, what is, what do you think needs to change in the music? Cause you've been around the music a lot in, both that setting of like having thousands and thousands of people coming to Ravinia. Right. And then also having, you know, the, the very much the people that are like, it's very serious, if you will, about their music also coming into the mm -hmm. Institute. Oh man, that is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually been stuck on this for a while because I've been thinking for a long time, not, and this is less about the musician and what the musician needs to change. But I think, um, sorry about that. I think in general, um, the, the structures have to change. Hopefully if anyone's been paying attention for the last couple of years or longer, uh, we have to be examining our institutions and I've been stuck for a long time on the re-examination of institutions and how do you rebuild our institutions so that they are more inclusive and how do you change the model of what what sort of classical traditional music institutions and just general nonprofit institutions have looked like for a long time um and i don't have an answer to that i wish i did i'd probably make a bunch of money if i did right, 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 right. um <laughs> but i i think Specifically to the artist, I guess there there's a way to take your art seriously, but hopefully not take yourself too seriously. But I also don't want to put that all on the artists to have to be so malleable for, you know, uh, to appeal to everyone. I think there needs to be a little bit of a acceptance too that you're not going to appeal to everyone and just accepting that and being okay with that. Um, People have a lot of interests. People have a lot of hobbies. And I think it's okay to say that we, we're, we're very okay with saying like that hobby is not for me. And I think we also need to be okay with accepting when someone says like that music's not for me um, or, or I'm not going to particularly gravitate myself toward that area or spend my money in that area. And just kind of saying like, okay, that's fine. Um, but that's so much harder to do when you you really want to share your art with the world and share your craft with the world. So I guess I, I'm, that's like a rambling non-answer, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's really tough. I think, I think that's possibly why too, I didn't gravitate toward being an artist exclusively and being a musician professionally, because I don't know that I would have the stamina to pour myself on stage constantly over and over, knowing that not everybody wants to hear me or wants to see what I'm doing. Um, but I love the passion that I'm supporting of the people who do that. 
and can accept that, you know, it's easy for me to say, Oh, like, don't take yourself too seriously and just accept when people don't want to come see you perform. Um, that's a really <laughs> awful thing to hear, but there are so many musicians I get to work with who are very okay with that and very accepting of that. And they just keep doing their thing. And I love that. I think that might've just been the most elegant way I've ever heard someone describe stubborn, like <laughs> in my entire life, you know, it's, it's incredible, but you know, cause you're also like, of course you're Molly Cinder, the director, you know, but you're also just like Molly, the person, you know? So how, like, how does it bleed over for you? Like, if you did not have this job, you know, do you think that you would still be as connected into it as you maybe once were, or would you maybe find yourself interested in working in the industry? Like not in the, the uh, classical side of it, like being mm. in the more pop industry or, Cause that's also, you know, has its flaws and, and everything yeah. there. Like, how do you find yourself and your interests in the world today with it all? Yeah. I, I had a moment when I was working with more popular artists where I realized that I really need to see what the music is doing for someone. Mm. I need to see the audience and I need to see the gratification to, because that really motivates me because music even if the the meaning of that moment is just you went to a concert and you had a really great memorable night that to me is so impactful in the world that we live in so for me I really felt as though I needed to be in a venue or be in a place where I could be connected with an audience and I could walk out into the house or on the lawn, if it's Ravinia, and see people enjoying themselves. We say a lot at Ravinia, like we're not doing, we're not landing planes. We're not doing brain surgery. We are providing people, hopefully a really memorable and lovely evening and a really nice night. And hopefully they develop a love of music, whatever kind of music they came for, um, or deepen a passion or a love of music. So if I didn't work here, um, and I haven't, you know, I've, I've worked not in music and I just felt such a longing to go back to working in it and working in the arts um, because this is gonna sound so <laughs> corny and like overdone, but I get a feeling a lot of times when I see performers that it's just like the realest thing you could do. I don't think I could be really happy just kind of propping up some corporation <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I just kind of feel like this is the pursuit of just artistry and energy exchange. And I just like to support that and be around that and maybe have a hand in getting someone on that stage and having a great evening and sharing that moment. And so for me, that is kind of what drives me. So if I wasn't in this job, I do think I would probably still be in the arts somewhere. Um, I don't know how deep into the industry I would go uh, in terms of like artist management or anything like that, but I've thought about that before or just, you know, a different kind of venue that presents a different style um, of music. Um, I don't know. If I had all the money in the world, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would honestly just 
probably like open up a little club of my own and just book whatever I wanted without anyone telling me what to book and make it like the best place to perform, you know, like the, the next, like, oh, I don't know, what does everyone love? Village Vanguard or the best, like, uh, Blue Note or the That'd best. Be yeah, it'd be pretty cool. And it wouldn't just, but like, not just jazz, yeah, but we just would like, do that need. really well, but we'd also like bring in somebody else and do that. Yeah. Um, I think that'd be pretty fun. So no, especially would... with like all these clubs closing, I want to like start the second wave of reopening jazz clubs. So that's kind of like another question I have is what do you think is going to happen now? Because so mm. you successfully ran this program online only, I think last year with everything Right. like Ravinia was dark last year, um, which it never is. It's always very bright and tons of music for like time and time on end. Like, what do you think is going to happen now? Do you, cause I think there's a combination of like people starved for those kinds of shows and everything, but also a combination of like, can the shows meet the need mm. with like having the financial backing of like missing a season and places that weren't able to hold over and, mm -hmm. and just how it's changing, you know, cause many more people it's like have almost gotten trained to just being able to go, well, I can either go see the show or I can just pay $10 less and stream it. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think is going to happen now? Yeah, I think, I hope that there has been a, a reappreciation of live in-person music and connecting. And so I do think people are clamoring to go back to a fest a festival or go back to a venue or maybe go into a venue for the first time. Maybe they've always wanted to go see a play or the ballet and they never went and then they couldn't go. And now they want to go because they never got the chance before. And we're going to be living kind of this like YOLO life a little bit of it got taken away. So let's try to bring it all back if we can. And if we're lucky enough to be able to afford to and, and, and go to them, go to these different performances. So I think that honestly, performing arts are maybe on the cusp of a, a, a thriving uh, situation, but obviously venues got horribly impacted and I know a lot closed. So I do think that it's a little bit like a, you know, there's, there's maybe fertile ground Anytime something closes, it's door closes, window opens. Perhaps that's going to be a restart of a bunch of jazz clubs in all the different, you know, all the cities all over the country. But um, I don't know, maybe it's it's going to be a totally reimagined thing. But I, I don't think that and not to bash streaming at all, because that's like, we stream all the time and we hear how impactful it is for people who are still hesitant to come back to a venue or who are homebound or whatever it may be, or you got a chance to see somebody you would have never been able to afford a live ticket for. And that's really, really helpful. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of experience um, and sort of in-person energy. I think people need that. Um, I think we're still trying to clamor our way out of this, uh, what just happened, what's been happening and it's still happening. I mean, we're not done with the pandemic, I don't think. Um, and so I do think people are going to 
we've had so much time to reflect and think about what's important and how we want to spend our time. And I think as we come out of this and people heal and recover, I think music and arts are going to be a huge piece of that healing experience. And um, in-person connection is going to be a huge part of a healing experience. And so that sets potential new venues up very well um, if, if we do it do it right. And if people have the means to do it. So I think, you know, it's going to be a little bit hybrid and we're still going to trip and stumble for a while, I think, but, um, I think we've got fertile ground for, for new stuff that maybe we haven't seen before. So is this like you announcing the opening of Molly's? Is that that what's happening? (laughs) No, no. Um, it is not that announcement. Um, (laughs) But maybe in like 25 years, right, right, <laughs> that'll right. be my retirement project or something. But um, I don't know. I think that could that could work again. I think it could be really cool again. I think there's also there's so many angles that we haven't explored of, as I mentioned before, um, there has been for a very long time one path I think that has been like the notorious path of how to make it as a musician and it's always move to LA if you want to be a recording artist move to New York if you want to be on Broadway or if you want to be a jazz musician and that's it and I think people for better or for worse are are growing tired of cities or they want a chance to spread out or, or own a place or own land, or they just kind of don't want that rat race. And I think it's hopefully, if we're going to stay optimistic here, going to mean that really creative people might be in places that they weren't before because they aren't leaving where they are, or they're going to new places. And so maybe it does mean a resurgence of small jazz clubs in smaller cities like Raleigh or Indianapolis or, uh, you know, Austin with a really great big renewal of music, but it's not all country or something or Nashville with an influx of not just honky tonk and they would, you know, anyone in Nashville would be like, (laughs) we're not just country music. Um, But I think that could be a really cool silver lining is this kind of return to maybe where we started a little bit of kind of everybody around here plays music and a community approach um, with diverse, hopefully communities as well, spread out a little bit more rather than you got to go to this one place if you want to make it. Yeah. Do you, um, yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I think that's really well said because it's like, you see people trying to move out. It's probably because they want land, you know, God, it's so expensive to live in a city like that. And then finding places. But I mean, also you guys are kind of paired with Chicago, you know, 40 minutes outside the city. Do you think what you guys do at the Institute, I guess I'll say would work anywhere else. Like if it was not attached to such an artistic city, like Chicago is really well known for supporting the arts and specifically attached to Ravinia, you know, something that allows you to flourish like that. Like what could you see this fun? If you had the funding, it being somewhere else and still function the way it does. Absolutely. There's, there's beautiful arts centers in the middle of Wyoming and Montana and, you know, outside of Bend, Oregon, there's, there's just, I think it would, it would happen anywhere because I think 
if you put creative people in a beautiful place, wherever that place may be, beauty is going to come out. So I don't think you need to necessarily only be around a place like, I mean, I love Chicago. Um, I don't think we, we have to be next to Chicago in order to thrive. Um, I think we almost operate like our own little ecosystem here in Highland Park. And I think that that can be replicated other places. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Man, it's, it's wild to think about. And, and to anyone that has listened that has not gone to Ravinia, like you need to, it's massive. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really it's cool. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, how much does the lawn sit sometimes? Yeah. So it's a 37 acre park. Um, and we have a, a pavilion that has seats inside and that's, you know, can seat like 3,500 to 4,000, but then on the lawn, you can get another 10,000 out there on the lawn and yeah, that's just a casual pretty 10 packed, grand, you know, yeah, yeah, just a casual 10. Um, and that's a pretty packed night. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a big place. And what's interesting about it too. And this is why I feel as though music will continue to evolve and thrive and we just have to be a little more accepting of where the audience is coming from too. Ravinia is set up where if you're on the lawn, most times you don't see the stage. You don't see a screen. You are truly just listening to the music from the speakers that are on the lawn and they're really well set up speakers and really well, you know, our, our union guys like know how to do the audio, obviously, so that it sounds really, really good. But people are just trying to have a lovely picnic night with their family and friends and listen to great live music. And that doesn't look the same for everyone. And we have such a stark example of that at Ravinia because you have people that want to be in the seats way down front, see the whole entire stage right up close. And then you've got people that still want to have a concert experience, but they want to just be on the lawn so that their kids can run around and they can eat their food throughout the whole show. And um, so you see the diversity of what audiences are looking for. And so I think that helps us at Ravinia and hopefully a lot of arts administrators as they're thinking about it, um, realize that there's no right way that you have to go to a venue or see a show or experience music. You can cater and hopefully if you've got the right place, you can cater to multiple people and hit a really different experience in the same night for different people. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, by no means have I been to tons of festivals, but I don't know somewhere else that is really the majority of the audience that comes on a packed night is not set up in a minute. It's not like seeing the show. To see the show, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, that, I mean, that's I have really unique. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, I have, I always say I want to spend a summer going to all the other festivals and seeing how they run, but that would mean I'm out of a job. <laughs> if yeah, <right>. I'm not, <laughs> if I have the chance and opportunity to go visit every other festival in the summer, it means I'm not working. So that's probably not, uh, where I need to go, but um, I have colleagues that are, you know, Tanglewood and Wolf Trap and um, all these other sort of summer festivals and Eastern Music Festival and um, New World Symphony and uh, Music Academy of the West and Taos. And I just wanna see how they run because I have such a unique perspective that's very hyper-specific to Ravinia, but I want to see how all these other places are doing it because I think 
that would be eye-opening for me because it's just been, even, even navigating through this pandemic, Ravinia had to massively rethink audience and how we're doing things. And so, whereas before we had sort of basically two seating options, you could either get in the pavilion or you're picnicking on the lawn. This year, we actually even added a third option where we have pods um, on one part of the lawn. So if you don't want to get here too early, you want to be guaranteed that you've got a space on the lawn and you want to be a little bit spread out from your immediate neighbor, you can get a pod um, for two, four, six. But then we also still have the general admission and we've got some people that know exactly where they want to sit every time and some people just kind of show up and pick a spot and then you've still got the pavilion. So we've had to even rethink an audience experience in the wake of the pandemic as we still try to navigate out of this and accommodate all different types of consumer in that way. And I know that other venues are doing that same reimagining. And so hopefully we're, we're already seeing how successful these pods are. We kind of threw them on the lawn and thought, okay, let's see, let's see how this goes. And it's gone well. So hopefully that means that a lot of other venues will kind of keep providing a different experience to hit people where they're at and what they want to do. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's wild for me to think, and it's phenomenal that you guys have an audience like that, but I can't imagine telling someone that had never been to Ravinia, like, okay, you're going to pay to go to this concert to see Usher, but like, you're not actually going to look at <laughs> Usher. You're just going to listen to it. And someone be like, well, no, I would never do, you know, cause everyone's so trained to being like, I'm going to go see somebody and not just there to listen and to hang and everything like that, you know? Right. And so if that's, I mean, we try to be pretty upfront as you're buying a ticket that if you're on the lawn, you're probably not seeing this artist. Um, and again, for some people that's fine for some people it's not. And I like that we at least have an alternative. We have a different option. If you definitely want to see the artist or if you want to see the screen of the, of the artist. Um, so but yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> see what comes with all of what venues try to adapt and do. Now, you know, I know I asked you a loaded question earlier, and that's not exactly nice. But, you know, as what possibly could be more of a loaded question, you know, like when you're not running Ravinia over the summer, what are you doing? You know, oh. I know that like you obviously handle tons of things in the off season for Ravinia in preparation for the next year, you know, so right. to people that don't know, like that could be securing funding, securing faculty, lining up auditions, figuring out all the scheduling, all of that stuff, like not belittling that at all. But like when you're not doing Ravinia, right. Who is Molly Sender? <laughs> Outside of work. Yeah. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to be active. I really like just kind of being outdoors. I like moving. Uh, so I, I take and teach yoga. So I've been doing that for many, many years. Um, I've been teaching for about, I actually have been teaching the fellows at the Institute this summer, which has been really fun. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, that's been really great. I love, I love it. 
Um, so I'd taken teach yoga. I um, got very into CrossFit. That's where, so I spent a lot of time at the gym. Um, I spend a lot of time when I could <laughs> traveling. Um, I love, I love traveling. I've been, I'm trying to hit all the national parks in America uh, and trying to hit all 50 states. I have a little list that lives on my computer, like a little post-it of the states I have yet to hit so I can cross them off and plan. Um, so I love traveling and, and especially to parks, hiking and camping and things like that. Um, my boyfriend has a dog, so I spend <laughs> a lot of time with the, with Winston. So I got to give Winston a proper shout out. Um, and then I'm, I love cooking, cooking and baking. I was definitely like the prime example of the sourdough craze during the pandemic. Someone gifted me a sourdough starter, I think week two of the pandemic. And I think I've made just about everything that you can make out of sourdough starter. <laughs> I've made English muffins. I made naan. I made all types of different breads. I've made tortillas. <laughs> I've made waffles. <laughs> I made uh, coffee cakes that have sourdough starter. So I did that. But even before that, I did a lot of cooking. I've, I'm um, really into trying out different recipes. I really love trying to cook uh, like Middle Eastern food. Um, mm. My trip to Israel really spurred that on. So a lot of Israeli and Jewish cooking, being Jewish, um, a lot of sort of trying to reimagine that as a vegetarian, which has been sort of interesting. Uh, or just, you're a vegetarian. I am, yes. Um, so that sort of started as a <laughs> an experiment and it's stuck now for almost two years. Um, so yeah, I just try to kind of, and I just, I love participating in my city that's kind of a big thing as well. I've, that was one thing that I missed so, so much during the pandemic was just the chance to hop over down to the art Institute on a Tuesday night or to the museum of contemporary art. Chicago is just filled to the brim with stuff. And I think it's a really great city where you can try out all sorts of different things. So I've gone to plays and musicals and I do go to a lot of shows, um, outside of Virginia. Uh, most of my shows, I think I go to outside of Ravinia. Um, and I'm always just fast. I think I go with a different angle when I'm in a show at, at a show, because I I'm kind of looking at the setup and wondering what backstage looks like and <laughs> wondering about loading and how did that, you how shut did it off? Go? Like, have you been able to successfully shut it off sometimes where like you can go and like, just, just be, just enjoy and not be like, oh my gosh, I bet that failed or that probably looks great. Or <laughs> I have. Yeah. I, I think those shows are my escape is a little bit, but I do love to kind of look at the setup and wonder, uh, wonder how long that load intake took, but they are, I, I mean, Chicago's filled with venues and you can find, talk, talk about finding whatever you want as an audience member. You can go to a seated show at a small venue, at a huge venue like the Chicago Theater, or you can go to like a little hole in the wall and see a little, you know, up and coming folk musician or a DJ or whatever you want to do. I, I mean, Chicago is just filled with venues. It's a, just such a good performing arts city and music city. So, um, yeah, it's important for me to kind of connect into a community wherever I am. So 
connecting in with my yoga studio and that community, same with my gym, same with just kind of cultural participation. Um, I really like kind of weaving, weaving yourself into the fabric of the place that you're in. It's kind of how I like to spend my time. So I stay busy. Yeah. I think that might be the understatement of <laughs> forever. How does that, um, I'm sure it helps you, uh, mentally yeah. you know, with getting away from everything, but have you found since, as you've added those things on throughout the years that it's come back and then benefited you professionally? Cause I think that's another big thing that like a lot of musicians and artists neglect sometimes is like, frankly, like personal health, you, yeah. you know, just like yep. not doing this forever and letting it eat away at them and like slowly dying, you know? Yes. <laughs> well, I, um, I mean, not to, I could, I could turn this into a yoga podcast, um, but I don't want to do that to you, but the ways that yoga has impacted my life in terms of the ability to have a, a mindfulness practice, introduction of meditation, um, just kind of, it's, it's one thing that I keep going back to and I keep learning from, I keep learning lessons on and off the mat about myself and patience with myself and uh, patience with others and just kind of taking, taking a little bit of space to when I, what I always say at the conclusion of my class is like, make sure that when you're wrapping up whatever you just did, you're, you're giving yourself gratitude for showing up. Cause even just saying, okay, I'm going to take an hour right now for myself just to be in this place. I don't have anywhere else to be, or I'm not going to go try to be anywhere else. I'm going to just try to be here for an hour and just try to focus on literally breathing and maybe moving my body around a little bit. That's huge. And if you kind of give yourself that every day, or as much as you can, I mean, an everyday practice is not a reality for a lot of people, but, um, if you can, and the same can be said of, of any other sport, you know, if you spend an hour or 30 minutes getting in the pool and swimming, if that's your, if that's your bag or, or lifting or running, I mean, people talk about like runner's brain and the runner's high, just the ability to say, I'm doing something for myself and my body to keep myself physically and mentally healthy is I think such a gift that people can give themselves. And I wish it was more attainable for everyone to participate. And for every single person, I, I truly feel like every single person deserves yoga. Every single person deserves, um, that resource, like a mental health resource. That's also something physical. I used to box and the aggression that you can get out while boxing is so healthy for you. Um, it's just, it's just fabulous. So, um, I think that's kind of why I'm so passionate about like moving my body and, and, and fitness and all that sort of stuff is just because it's, it feels like such a gift to be able to do it. Um, and it helps my mind <laughs> and my body. So that's great. Man. It's, uh, you're like the gift that keeps on giving. It's like <laughs> you run this festival and then I don't know, I'm two years removed from it. You're like, yeah, by the way, I used to box. I no no big deal or anything. <laughs> Yeah, not competitively. I would never allow anyone to, hit me. um, <laughs> uh, but no, it was, it was really, really fun. 
Right. So what you're saying is like you were training for the Olympic trials. <laughs> yeah, I right? was supposed to be in Tokyo right now. What is no. going on? Come on. <laughs> well, Molly, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking. And you know, everyone check out Ravinia and the Ravinia Steens Institute and for doing great things up there. Or if you're in Chicago, go get deep dish at one of the places or whatever. I don't even remember what the two places are, you know, but yeah thanks so much and good luck with the rest of the festival and, and the rest you. of the year and then you know come august 2022 because that's how that goes but uh yeah <laughs> sounds good thanks so much for having me on alan good to talk with you